0: take your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4 this morning. We will be speaking a little bit about mothers and that will definitely be in this message, but I want to start off the message by just giving you a disclaimer. The principles in the Word of God are not gender specific. So what I talk about today will be addressing mothers, but truly if every man in this room applied them to their lives, they would be better off for it. And so that's what we're going to be speaking about this morning. You see on the screens this morning, we're going to be speaking about the measure of greatness. In 2 Kings chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, I'd ask that you find one there in the pew in front of you. We will be reading almost 30 verses this morning. And so often when pastors or preachers read long passages, our minds have a tendency to wane from what they're saying. It's very important that we tune in to what the Bible's saying, because truly, I don't have anything good to say this morning. Nothing that I say. I mean, I might not even tell a funny story. I know that's what you all depend on. Andrew's gonna tell some funny stories, but I might have lame jokes this morning. You never know. But the Bible never is lame. Amen. The Bible's always great. So even if you tune me out after we read the Bible, that'll be quite all right. But just make sure you, you listen to what the Bible's saying. Second Kings chapter 4. We'll start in verse 8. The Bible says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. She said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber, and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. She said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. She said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season, that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. Now at this point in our story, everything is awesome, is it not? This woman has showed her servant's heart. She shows hospitality to the man of God. You see how she's a great woman. The Bible's called her that. Now Elisha has come and he's laying on his bed. It had to be a Temper pedic or a Sterns and Foster or something nice like that in his prophet's chamber. And he's laying there and he just says, what can I do for this woman? She comes in. She says, well, you can't really do that much for me. I'm fine. I'm, I'm happy the way it is. And so now uh, Gehazi, he's a pretty smart guy. And he looks over and he says, well, she doesn't have a son. Maybe she would like that. And so Elisha, being the man of God, says, this time next year you'll have a son. Everything's great. Now the Bible has told us she's had a kid. Now let's continue reading in verse 18. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he had went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And we had take, and when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called out to her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. Now, isn't that the way every mother drives? I read that and I was like, Ginger Wolfenbarger. Slack not thy riding. Except I bid thee. I just thought that was humorous. So verse 25, the Bible says, So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is the Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, It is well. Note that it's not well, though. Her son's dead. When she comes to the man of God with the power of God, everything is well. Verse 27, And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up. Thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man salute him not, and if any salute thee answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her, and Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him, and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead, and laid upon his bed. He went, in therefore, and shut the door upon them twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up, and lay upon the child, and put his mouth upon his mouth, and his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her and when she was coming in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this story of the Shunammite woman. We thank you for the fact that we're in church this morning. We so very much thank you for the mothers that have chosen to attend. Lord, what they mean to our life. Truly, it could be said, we would not be here without them. Lord, I just pray that you would please bless the mothers this morning. I pray that you would bless the Word of God. And I pray that you would help me preach it. And it's in your son's precious name I do pray. Amen. What is greatness? In your mind, what defines that word? It was a a night in February 22nd of 1980. Many of you may recall, many of you probably know the story that I will begin to tell. It was the United States of America versus the Russians, the Soviet Union hockey team. It was the Olympics and. There was no way that America was supposed to win that game. They went into that game and Russia had already beaten them once, 10 to 2. And that night, most people claim that that is the greatest moment in American sports history when the United States of America beat the Soviet Union in hockey in the Olympics. Y'all, many of you remember the famous call Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? It was a great sports event. I was not old enough to remember that night, but I do remember two amazing sports events that, since I've been alive. Many of you know Michael Phelps. Many of you have seen what he has done to the Olympics, and truly, he has made the Olympics look as if he was playing with toddlers. He owns 22 Olympic medals, 18 are gold, 2 are silver, 2 are bronze. He's the most decorated Olympian ever. Most would say he's the greatest, greatest Olympian to ever win. I remember it was not long ago in the year of 2008 when I watched the greatest golf moment I've ever seen in my entire life when Tiger Woods was at Torrey Pine. And you can think what you want of Tiger Woods. But the man was playing on nearly a broken leg and won the U.S. Open. Those were some great sports moments. But this morning, let me just say, I don't think that's very great. You know what I think is great? I think it's great that a mother could pass through the valley of the shadow of death and love the child that caused that pain unconditionally. I think it's great when a woman stays faithful to her husband because uh, of her children and because of the call of God on her life. And even though temptations of pleasure are there, she stays faithful. That's great. I think it's great when a mother, even though she may have a job or maybe she works at home, either way, I think it's great that when her husband arrives, she still is there working and serving him. That's great. See, greatness is not found in accolades. It's not found in awards. It's not found in acknowledgments. But truly, greatness is found at being great at what God has called you to do. This morning I would look out and I would see mothers and we have some here over 80. What an awesome uh, achievement. What You see how beautiful those ladies were as they came forward? They look so nice today. We have young mothers. We have mothers from Virginia. We have mothers who are too hard-headed to stand up from North Carolina. <laughs> and that's the reason I was Google mapping It's because I wanted to see if Virginia was farther than North Carolina. <laughs> You see, we have so many mothers here, and I'm sure you're all great mothers, but let's just be honest, wouldn't you like to be greater? I know that I would like to be a greater husband, and I've got to apply the principles we're going to speak about today to help my wife be a greater mother. So that's what we're going to take a look at, this woman and how she was so great. First of all, we'll see greatness was found in this woman because she was committed to serving Look in verse 10. The Bible says this. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. Now let's just be honest, ladies. When people come to town, it's not a holiday. When people come in to stay in your home... I love how we live in dirty houses for 350 days of the year. But the other time when we have guests, that thing looks like a holiday inn, man. (laughs) Don't y'all love that? I'll never forget. It's like, oh, we got family coming into town. Andrew, go clean your room. They're family. They know I'm a mess. You know, I think that's hilarious. Uh, But this woman, she uh, met Elisha. Over several meals, over a time in her life, she saw Elisha's work. She saw what he did, and she goes to her husband and she says, "You know what? I can just tell he's a man of God. Let us do something. Let us let us build a room for him so that when he comes in, he won't have to pay for a hotel. We they have inns in the Bible, don't they?" And so when he comes in, let's make him comfortable. Let's give him his own room. Let's give him his own table. Now let, let's set up a room and let's just serve the man of God. It's important that we be servants. Amen. Mothers, is that not exactly what you are? You're servants. The Bible says uh, in Matthew 28, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. You see, Jesus Christ came to this earth, and if He had come to this earth as the King of everything, He would have been the most humble man to ever come. But He didn't. He came as a servant. Can you imagine with me now in Matthew chapter 13, the picture that's painted. As Jesus Christ, the Bible begins to say how uh, the knowledge of Him having to die is really beginning to set in. And now He's ministering to everybody and Him and His disciples sit around a table. Jesus is trying to think just the few moments He has on this earth, what are the most valuable lessons I can teach my my disciples? What is it? Is it how to preach? Is it how to pray? Is it how to have good uh, fellowship with God? What is the most important thing I can give them? Jesus takes a towel, girds himself with the towel, takes a wash basin, gets on his knees and begins to wash his disciples feet. Remember, as he's going down the line, he gets to Simon Peter and Simon uh, Peter says, Lord, you cannot wash my feet. You, You should not be washing our feet. I should be the one washing your feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And Peter says, Oh, then don't only wash my feet, Lord. Wash my head. Wash everywhere, Lord. Jesus says this. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. But see, so many people, in fact, uh, doctrine gets confused here. The message was not on feet washing. The message was on servanthood. The message was not that we should walk. And uh, actually, I'll be honest with you. I would not wash your feet for nothing, brother. You look like a clean fella, but you got the lumberjack beard going on now. But I bet your feet stink after a day's work. I just got a feeling. I, but the message was not on feet washing. The message was, if the King of kings and the Lord of lords could wash His disciples' feet, what ought we to do? Did you know that at no other time in your life are you more like Christ than when you're serving? See, you can't go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. And I would hardly say that we could jump out of a boat and walk on the water. I would probably say if we came to you and said, all we have is uh, five loaves and two fishes, you'd say, well, let's go to Chicken Express. <laughs> because you can't do anything about that. You know what you can do? You can serve. Amen. And this woman is a prime example. If you're going to be a great person, if you're going to be a great mother, you got to serve. Amen. Now, One of the hard things about my life uh, and moving into marriage from my home has been just the transition and the differences my wife treats me and the way my mother treats me. Let me just say my mother babied me. We got a witness. First time in seven years she said anything in the house of God. Yep. Ben's amen more than you lately, all right? You see, my mom babied me a little bit. And one of the things that my mom always did, and I just assumed every mother did this, was she would cook supper, plate supper, and bring it to me. I just thought that was normal. Uh, What do they do at restaurants? Cook it, plate it, serve it. I just thought that was normal. We get back from our honeymoon. Everything's good in honeymoon land. We get order a little Papa John's. Is sitting over there under the uh, microwave. It's like, hey, honey, will you, will you grab me some pizza? <laughs> oh no, you did, you know. <laughs> She has got a North Carolina head, Bob, like you don't even know, my friends. I'm sure it's the same in Virginia. No, you. So me and my wife have had to figure this thing out. So we have began to compromise. Does she get my food? Do I get my food? So we've just compromised and I never eat. <laughs> No, my wife's been gracious and there's times when I get up and get my own food, but she just said, I'll be a servant. And so many times I don't have to get up from my, my, my perfectly comfortable couch while I'm watching the Rangers game. And even though my wife has a much more difficult job than I have, and even though she works so many more hours than I do, she still, when she gets home, cooks, cleans. Isn't that what great mothers do? You see, that's why I say the principles in the Bible are not gender specific. Men, we ought to be good servants. We ought to serve our wife. We ought to be able to take care of her. We ought to be servants. Secondly, not only was this woman great because she was committed to serving, but secondly, she was great because she was content in her status. Look in verse 13. Verse 13 says this, And he said unto him, Say now unto her, I'm thankful for everything you've done. It's been awesome. You've got us a mattress. You've got us everything. Behold thou, uh, 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 right here, um, let me see, uh, 13. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold thou has been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? I'll do anything. Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. You know what she's saying? I'm fine. I have everything. It's okay. I don't need anything, Elisha. We did not serve you for you to bless us. We served you just because we wanted to serve. She was content. I love Philippians 4.13, don't you? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We all know that verse quite well. Do you know what the context is in Philippians 4? Contentment. The Bible says in verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We all know that verse too, don't we? I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I believe that we can have victory over through temptation because I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I believe that we can see great miracles performed in the house of God because, hey, let's face it. We can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. You see... All things are possible with God and we use that verse correctly. But do we often use it in the context of contentment? See, Paul was saying it's difficult to be content. It's not easy. You always want something more. You always desire something more. For mothers, oftentimes you want your children to be more. You want more children. You want things to be different. But this woman was content. And Paul's saying with the power of Christ we can be content as well. You see, contentment is a mark of a mature Christian. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. A story is told of a pilot one day as he was flying over a certain valley. His co-pilot noticed that every single time they th- flew over this valley, he would look down at a little stream in the bottom of the valley. After several trips in this plane, his co-pilot just said, How come every time we pass by this particular valley and that particular stream, you look down? Why is it so special to you? The pilot says, when I was just a boy, I used to sit on a log in that stream and I used to fish. And I would look up at the jets flying overhead and I would say, Boy, how awesome it would be to be flying. But now I look down at the stream and I say, "How awesome it'd be to be fishing!" <laughs> Isn't it funny how that's the way our lives are? We we get one thing, we want another. You see, you can't be great if you always think there's something more to achieve, if there's something more to uh, to get. This woman shows us an earmark of a great Christian when she says, Elisha, you want to do anything for me? You want to bless me? You have the power to heal people? You have the power to split water? You have the power? I'm fine. Let me ask you, if I could present you with a genie in the bottle today, would you be fine? If you could rub the lamp and let's just all imagine imagine the Aladdin character fly out of that bottle. He's funny. He sings cool songs, and he says, "What do you want? Would you be happy with what you have? Or would it be? I want a new truck. That's good. I want a new wife. <laughs> I don't know what it would be, but let me just say, contentment is a mark of a great Christian. Amen. Secondly, not uh, thirdly, not only was this lady content; thirdly, she was confident in the sovereign." Now this is what's awesome. You see verse 21. This is what's great about this story. Her child has died. She did not ask for this child. Uh, When Elisha asked, what is it you want? She says, I'm fine. Elisha notices that she doesn't have a child. so, So Elisha rewards her service with a child. He blesses her. In this blessing, she says... Don't lie to me. Obviously, she wanted a kid. She was barren. Don't lie to me, Elisha. I really want this child. Elisha gives her the child. And now one day, the child in the harvest season is probably really hot. Goes down to visit his father. And, and let's just assume it's due to a heat stroke. The Bible really doesn't say. But he goes to his father and he says, my head's hurting. My head's hurting, dad. Ah. So the father has a, a servant take the son back to his mother. The mother puts the child on her lap, the one that Elisha promised, the one that Elisha gave. This is a miracle child. And that child, she has to watch the life leave his eyes in her lap. What's awesome about this story is she takes her child and places it on the bed of the man of God. Where do you go when you have a problem? She doesn't lay, on, lay it on her bed. She takes it to the man of God. The, the thing that represented the power of God, she lays it on that bed and she says, uh, she said, her husband says, where are you going? Why are you going to Elisha? It's not a new moon. It's not an appointed feast. What, what, why are you going to the man of God? And she says, husband, it shall be well. Because it wasn't well at the time. She had taken her problem to the man of God, laid it upon the man of God's bed. And she says, now all I've got to do is get to the man of God and it's going to be all right. You see, one of the earmarks that this woman shows us of a great Christian is the fact that she had total faith in the deliverance of God's power. She knew without a shadow of a doubt, her husband says, where are you going? Well, what's the problem? Why are you going to the, to the man of God? And she says, husband, it's going to be okay. Where do you go? When you have a problem. Mother, where do you go when your kids need help? Where do you go when your child is acting more like the prodigal than he is a prodigy? Where do you go? This woman took her problem to the man of God. Look in verse 21. We see what the Bible says. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him. Now she comes in Verse 23, uh, she says, and she said, It shall be well. Now, verse 26, uh, she arrives to where Elisha's at. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? It's not okay. He's dead. And she answered, It is well. When the woman got to the place where God's power was, everything was all right. You tell me this woman doesn't have faith and I'll show you where she made Hebrews chapter 11. Yeah, right. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again. You see, this woman was listed among people that had the greatest faith in all the Bible. She had complete confidence that God's power was available and that it was ready to help her. Amen. That's right. Mother, father, where do you go when you have a problem? Amen. Are you completely confident in the fact that God can save? Psalm 55, verse 22 says, Cast thy burdens upon the Lord, for He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. First Peter 5, and verse 7 says, Casting all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. Where do you go? You see, this morning, I'm not here to rip your face. I'm not here to tear you down. I'm here to encourage you. If you're going anywhere but God, you need to get that right. You need to turn back and if you have a child who's not acting like they ought to act, come back to where true power is found. Because it's not found on the couch of some guidance counselor. It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the privileges I have of being youth director is I get to be with your teenagers, be with your kids. These, I'm not kidding you, are some of the greatest kids that I've ever known in my entire life. They all have desires to serve God. They all want to know what God's will is for their life. They're good kids, very good kids. And I remember the other day, I was sitting here in the service and a mother came up to me and she said, You know, I'm just concerned. Would you please pray for my child and would you maybe talk to it? You see, that's a great mother. One that comes to the house of God. Sees a problem, and maybe it's not even a big problem, maybe it's just something small, but she came to where true power is found. She came to the right place. You see, when we have problems and we have difficulties and we don't go to God, you know what we're saying? We don't have confidence in the fact that He can fix it. God does, God can, and He will. And all it takes is us going to Him. Not only was she uh, uh, content and saddest, confident in the sovereign, but finally, and this is to me the greatest point of the whole thing, verse 30, she was concerned for salvation. Look, the Bible says, And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So Elisha says, Gehazi, you take my rod, you take my staff, you go, you touch the child on the face, he's dead, you touch him on the face, that should fix it. The woman says, I want you to know, Elisha, if this don't work, I ain't leaving you. If this don't work, I'm gonna be here. And you're gonna hear me every time you turn around saying, you gonna come fix my kid? You gonna come fix my kid? And I'm gonna be here every time. I'm not gonna leave until this problem gets resolved. You know, at this point, what other choice does the woman have? She doesn't have a medical cure. The child's already dead. She comes to the man of God and she says, I want you to understand, until my child's fixed, I'm not going to leave where God's power is. This is a great, great thing this woman does here. She realizes that there are no answers outside of the answers from God. Are you looking for the answers for your children? Are you looking for the answers for your home? Are you looking for the answers for your life in church? In God's will? Are you looking for them somewhere else in this world? She's concerned for the salvation of her child. And I understand totally that this woman was concerned for the physical salvation from this child to death. But I believe it's biblical that a mother be concerned for the spiritual salvation of her children. You see, as I read the Bible, you say, well, the man of God leads his home. The man of God ought to be his children's uh, leader. I look at Timothy's life and I see how his father was a Gentile, his father was an unbeliever. And Paul says, You know, Timothy, when I look at you, I recall to my mind the unfeigned faith that was found in your mother and your grandmother. You see, women are leaders in the home. Leaders are spo- uh, Women are supposed to be godly women guiding and leading their children. And I believe totally... That a woman who weeps and prays and begs God for the salvation of her children will see it. I have that promise in Psalm 126, verse 6. The Bible says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth bearing, weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. You see, I believe it's biblical for a mother to be concerned about the spiritual well-being of her children. That's why I was so oppressed from that... impressed when that mother came to me the other day and said, will you just pray for my child? That's what godly mothers ought to do. Godly mothers ought not to find answers at public school. They ought to find them right here where God is. You see, this woman came to the man of God and he said, I want you to understand, Elisha. I'm going to be here clinging onto your leg until you fix this. Uh, You're going to fix this. She said, I'm not leaving where God's power is. Have you ever noticed, noticed mothers can be stubborn? When I was much younger, I used to say, "I got two pieces of bubble gum," instead of "I have two pieces of bubble gum." Apparently, that got on my mother's nerves so bad, and maybe she just didn't want her son to sound like a moron, which I still do, but I got have right. And so I would say, you know, I got a bicycle instead. I have a bicycle. So I'd be sitting in the back of the car and, and, I, and I'd just be in conversation, you know, mother-son conversation. We're just trying to build a relationship, trying to have fun going down the road. Yeah, mom, I, I got two tickets to the movie. You have, you have a problem. <laughs> Stop correcting me. And every time she would say. I have. And she wouldn't even say, Now, Andrew, you're saying it wrong. It's, I have two tickets. No, she would just say, I have. What do you have? I don't know what you have. I got tickets, but what do you have? And it was so frustrating. Mothers can be stubborn, can they not? I kid you not, every bowl of cereal my mother ever fixed me, she took a bite of it. And she would walk into the room and she'd be face full of my Rice Krispies. And she would say, I was checking to see if it was poisoned. (laughs) Thanks, quality control. Hopefully that one bite is not going to be the difference between me hungry and starving. Every time she would do that. Moms are so stubborn. But that's not completely a bad thing, is it? You know where mothers ought to be stubborn? When a child gets a little wayward, they ought to go to the throne of God and get as stubborn as they can. They ought to get there and they ought to beg and they ought to pray for their child. They ought to beg God that He fix the problem. They ought not try seeking answers and they ought not be a bad influence on their child. They ought to be a centerpiece in Christianity so their child knows where to come back to. You see, this morning, I I, I look around and I see so many beautiful mothers. I see great mothers. I see mothers who love their children. I believe we can all get greater. And this woman shows us some principles and shows us some uh, attributes of lifestyle that we can all apply to our own lives. On the table, side by side, the Holy Bible and the TV guide. One is well-worn and cherished with pride. Not the Bible. The TV guide. One is used daily to help them decide, no, it isn't the Bible. It's the TV guide. As pages are turned, what shall we see? It doesn't really matter. Turn on the old TV. Confusion reigns. They can't all agree on what they should watch on the old TV. So they open the book in which they confide... No, not the Bible, the TV guide. The Word of God is seldom read, maybe a verse as they fall into bed. Exhausted and sleepy and as tired as can be, not from reading the Bible, but from watching TV. So then back to the table, both side by side, the Holy Bible and the TV guide. No time for prayer, no time for the Word. The plan of salvation is seldom heard. Yet, forgiveness of sins, so full and so free, is not found in, t- uh, in TV, is, is found in the Bible and not what's on TV. This morning, are you the type of mother that is more concerned about what's in the TV guide than the Bible? Are you the type of father who worries more about what you're going to do with your kids in recreation and hobbies? Or are you more concerned about what you can show them from the Word of God? It's very important. Children are a blessing from God. Just ask those people that don't have them. Children are a blessing. And God has entrusted us with those children. And it's your duty to direct them in God's paths. It's your duty to help them when they get a little off-road, when they get a little off-track, to turn them back. Oh mother, you ought to be a servant. Oh mother, you ought to have great faith. But you ought to be concerned for the salvation of your children. Every head bowed and every eye closed.